Beyond the Ball, fueling your faith and family through sport. Welcome to the Beyond the Ball podcast with Coach Eric Klump and Coach Justin Gersten. Hey, Hoopheads, we appreciate you listening to this episode of Beyond the Ball. Be sure to check out our other coaching-focused podcasts, including the CoachMaze.com podcast, Thrive with Trevor Huffman, Players Court, and Bleachers and Boards. We're also building our stable of NBA pods on the Hoopheads podcast network, including Cavalier Central, Grizz and Grind, Knuck If You Buck, 305 Culture, Blazing the Path, Thunderous Applause, Hashtag Lakers, Motor City Hoops, X's and O's, NBA Breakdown, Spanning the Spurs, and the LA Hoops Pod. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoopheads podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game, from grassroots to the NBA. All right, guys, welcome back to the Beyond the Ball podcast with Coach Eric Klump. I'm Coach Justin Gerson. Eric, how you doing tonight, man? Very well, man. We're into the holiday season. You know, we started this, you know, right during the, the when COVID was first hitting us and uh, we were taking a, a leap of faith here. And now we're, we're into the month number 12 in December, and, and it's crazy. Um, but uh, it, it's been uh, a learning experience. I'm really glad that we started this and hopefully we'll keep it on going here. What about yourself? Yeah, I'm I'm definitely in a groove. We were just talking off air about how things are going and things are going great in my house other than our season still being a little bit paused at the moment and not really having a plan. We're just trying to have, at least in my house, the the approach of, you know, staying focused and controlling what we can control. And like you said, the holiday season, by the time this gets released, it'll be right around Christmas or after Christmas break. And so we've been doing some Christmas shopping and, you know, got the elf on the shelf has returned for the kiddos. So um, it's a constant uh, whirlwind of Christmas music, and we bake cookies over the weekend. So we got a lot going on in our house for sure. Such a beautiful thing that childlike wonder and smile that comes with the, the holiday season. You know, the the killer is the cookies, though, because we do we try we don't do a lot, but the ones that we do, we make our favorites, and then those are just the temptations that are sitting on the counter mm-hmm. that are hard to deal with. So, um, what about you? Got like, have you done any Christmas shopping yet? Uh, no, just just on Amazon. We, you know, we, we Jackie and I were discussing how we really want to um, patronize the small businesses because right. um, yeah. it seems like we, we just with a click of the finger the conveniency of Amazon. But um, well, what we did was we went to cut down our own Christmas tree. It was excellent. Um, oh, nice. A gentleman from our church has been for ten years now, and his his name is actually Tim Burr. So it's Tim Burr's Christmas trees. <laughs> yeah. That's um, no lie there. And we, you know, we were out there enjoying ourselves and uh, we stumbled upon the Christmas tree real early. But we said, you know, we're here. Let's check out the ambiance of everything. And we were fishing through a lot of trees and we got one back here and it looks perfect. So that's, um, that's what we've done so far. Not really too much shopping. Yeah. But, um, you know, we're in the we're in the holiday season, holiday spirit here. Nice. And this is the first Christmas in the house for you guys, right? Yes. Yes. We moved in in June. So this is our first one together. Oh, in the that's. House. 
Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. I We do not do a live tree for allergy purposes for my family. Um, so we had our Christmas tree. We always put it up Thanksgiving weekend. Um, Thanksgiving, actually the day of, we put it up that morning and decorated. It's easy for us. We've never really gotten into the tr- the Christmas tree hunt thing. I know that's mm. a big thing, but yeah. uh, we've never really done that as a family. That's one tradition that maybe... Um, we could maybe look into, but we just don't ever do it. We watch the Macy's Day Parade and we we throw the, some ornaments on the tree and we go from there. So gets it good. all started. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I usually don't do the, the Christmas music before Thanksgiving either, but I feel like I must be getting older because this year it started a little earlier for me, but that probably has something to do with my eight, 10. And yeah. I was going to say you're at the mercy daughter. of what they want to do and it's the holidays. Yeah. So it'll yeah. probably creep in earlier and earlier every year until they get, uh, you know, too old. Yeah, absolutely. You know what, though? But that goes kind of with as I I transition us here to our coaching nuggets. That's kind of my coaching nugget for tonight, though. But I can apply it to any aspect of my life is mine is keep the main thing, the main thing, which is something that we've heard a lot uh, in our time during PGC, but also in all these coaching clinics um, is just the idea that it can be a lot Um, when you're talking offense or defense or philosophy to get distracted by all the, you know, the Mm -hmm. glamour and the glitz of different Mm -hmm. offenses or defenses and different, you know, terminology, I think it's the same way in my, in my life as well. We sometimes get distracted by all this other stuff that's going on. Um, and sometimes we just got to sit and get centered and keep the main thing, the main thing. So that's my nugget for tonight whether you're coaching or it's in your personal life, you got to find out what the most important thing is and make sure you're feeding that thing. So what about you coaching? Yeah. Nugget? Yeah. Actually what I had written down is, is a lot like what you just said, coaching. We were off air talking about like how, how many coaching nuggets we've wrote and written down since COVID started. And even before that traveling all over throughout the country, attending clinics. And, you know, I wrote, what are you going to emphasize? You know, I kept I kept going back to that the last couple of years. You know, you could be a coach that has hundreds of drills, um, but what do you want your players to emphasize, to portray about your program on the court? And it really is going back to making the main thing the main thing, like you just said. So whatever you want, your what you need and will emphasize in in your on-court sessions and practice, your team will portray it, but you got to emphasize it and they got to know what it is. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think as we get into talking with our guest tonight, coach Birkin from SUNY Maritime, I think most coaches at any level, probably him included, and I'd love to have this conversation with them is probably doing that same thing, right? Because whether you're a high school coach, division three coach, division one coach, I mean, the, the main idea is the main idea. And mm-hmm. that's, that's hopefully what uh, we can take away from tonight. And hopefully Coach Birkin can shed some light on that. Do you have a verse for us for this? Yeah, yeah. this talk? morning I was in church yeah. sitting and we were talking about the holiday season, you know, just like we opened up the show with. And um, he got mm-hmm. into Luke 1, so I wanted to share it with us. And I was thinking about the angel Gabriel coming down and explaining to Mary to to not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and he will be called Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. And Gabriel concluded with with this and it's what what I've been saying to myself all day long is um, he concluded with for no word from God will ever fail. 
And I just, I just had that running through my head, like what sacrifices he had to make to come down to leave all the riches um, and, and then be born in a manger and rags. What sacrifice? I know we're all called on uh, the, you know, throughout this whole year of 2020 to make sacrifices, but that, that one's just been in my mind all day long after he was explaining that today. Yeah, that's that's such a powerful verse. Um, as I've been doing my my study every day, um, very some, something very similar to that. As I was reading through First Corinthians today, is the same idea of just faith and hope, and this idea of love. Right? You hear it all the time in weddings, um, in wedding ceremonies. Is the verse that talks about love is patient, love is kind. And I'm not going to get into all that, but I think it compares or blends nicely maybe is a better way to say that with what you're talking about. This idea that as long as you have that faith, um, you're going to be, you're going to be in good shape. I, the, the words in the verse that I read today kind of spoke to me in the same way that, you know, you're here to serve. And as long as faith is there, uh, you'll have hope. And as long as you have hope and you do that and act it out with love, you're going to be in good shape and um, such powerful words. I think, you that's know, the main t- thing, right? Coach, that's, that's the main, the, we'll keep that the, the main thing. We'll keep that the main thing, right? Because we, we do, we talk on this pod every, every episode about somewhere in the, in the Bible, a verse that kind of speaks to you. And I just think since we've started this and even maybe a little bit before I've been trying to really dive in a little bit more and, and just take some of this COVID time, this extra COVID time that we have uh, to lock in and really um, find the basic ways to think and lead out this life that we're, we've been given. So I appreciate you always bringing those words up and uh, hopefully our listeners take a little bit away from that. And time as well. here to serve, here to serve. Absolutely. So, hey, I love it. Let's uh, maybe take a quick break and uh, get back in here with Coach Birkin and see how he's serving and how he's handling this time period, um, both the holiday season and getting through COVID. Yeah, from Uh, Buffalo to the Bronx. Let's hear about it. Buffalo to the Bronx. I like it. All right. We'll be right back. Hey, hoop heads. We all hate ankle sprains and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com. Spelled A-R-Y-S. And use the code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off the future of performance. That's A-R-Y-S-E dot com with promo code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off. All right, guys, welcome back from, to Beyond the Ball podcast. We're joined to, on this episode by Mike Birkin uh, from SUNY Maritime. Coach, how you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, happy to be on. How are you guys doing? Oh, we're doing great. Yes, excellent, Coach. Thanks for coming on. And one of my favorite parts of doing this pod with with Justin is just seeing how many different places the great game of basketball um, takes people. And you know, you're you're right from our hometown in Buffalo. So how did we end up in the Bronx in New York? <laughs> um, yeah, no, I had been in Buffalo for 27 years. 
uh, yeah, I went to school, grew up there, went to Madai College and uh, coached at Madai, coached at Damon. And then four years ago, I was uh, I was hired as a basketball coach down here um, at SUNY Maritime, which is in, like you said, in the Bronx in a little little area called Throgs Neck, um, which is right right on the water, right right uh, underneath the Throgs Neck Bridge, which is the bridge that takes you from the Bronx to Queens. Um, and I was hired four years ago as a head coach and assistant AD, and, uh, and and that's how I got here. So ironically, I didn't know much about it, but the connection was that uh, Mike McDonald's son, Pat McDonald, went to school here. So um, that was kind of the only information I had about the place. Yeah, Mike, it's interesting. The, the more that Eric and I do this podcast, the story of how we get into coaching oftentimes has to do with someone we know or maybe someone we don't know. Um, and that kind of leads us down our path. But I want to start maybe a little bit earlier because obviously, you know, knowing you a little bit, having gone to the same, you know, undergrad program as you, um, where did the love of the basketball come from for you? Because I know your family's super into it. I see your dad around Western New York at games all the time. Um, where did that love and that passion come from that has taken you on this journey? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I always... I love sports in general. I mean, I played everything growing up, basketball the most, but I played Little League football. I played Little League baseball, you know, golf, all that good stuff. And I think when I got to high school, for whatever reason, basketball was just all I ever wanted to do. It was all I ever wanted to watch and, you know, work out. And I was nuts. You know, I was like, (laughs) uh, took it probably way too extreme, um, especially in the beginning of high school. But um, it really all worked out and, and, you know, I, it's all I, that's all I did, you know, cause I didn't play any other sports in high school other than basketball. So that's, that's where it started. And then, um, you know, it, it just kept, kept going into college and, and turned into coaching. So, um, so, so how did, how did you end up at Madai? What was the selling point as an alumni of there? I always like to hear these stories. What, what kind of sold you on the Madai Mavericks? Well, it's funny. So I didn't go there. For, I went to Fredonia my first semester out of high oh, school. Okay. So what okay. happened was is um, Coach McDonald had just been let go at Canisius like that summer, the summer before I was going to Fredonia. And he took the job at Madai kind of late in the summer or whatever, in the summer. And he, I think he, we might have talked once, but it, it was it was very informal. And, and I didn't really know. It's funny. You grew up in Buffalo. I didn't really know much about Madai. I knew where it was and that was about it. Uh, but I had already decided, you know, I had taken my visits and my recruiting visits to Fredonia and I was good to go. And, I, and so I went there my first semester and it just, I didn't, I, the school was fine. It just didn't, didn't love everything about what was going on. And uh, my, one of my teammates actually at Fredonia, um, Kelly Candelo, who's from Fairport in Rochester, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was transferring to Madai already. Like he had decided, you know, this is what Fredonia wasn't for him and he was going to go to Madai. So he, he go and he knew I wasn't very happy at the time, and and he goes, listen, I'm going to a Madai Buff State game at Buff State. This was like right before Christmas, and I had and I hadn't like I had maybe talked to Coach Mac once. I had kind of, I actually I hadn't talked to Coach Mac yet at that point. I was just you know I was tagging along basically. So we go there um, to Buff State and watch them play Madai or whatever. And after the game, I I guess I was a little more like open to transferring. My whole thought process was I was going to wait till after the year to transfer. And then I was like, what am I doing? Like, let's just go. So I, my, I talked to coach Mack and, 
And really, that's that's kind of how I got to Madai was Coach Matt. That was it. <laughs> yeah, and, and so I'm just going to piggyback on that a little bit because I'm a huge Coach Matt fan. Yeah, I we had him on. Yeah, Did we you? had him on the pod. Yeah, we had him on the pod earlier, some of our earlier episodes, just because he was very influential in my coaching. Only Almost from everybody the standpoint. in Western New York. Yeah, That's, right, yeah. exactly. Because yeah. he, he gave me such freedom working, just working his basketball camps at Canisius and has always been a positive influence. So maybe that's what I would just want to ask what, what his influence over you was, was that, is that part of the reason you got into coaching? What was that experience like with coach Mack? Yeah. I mean, his influence is everything. (laughs) It is basically, um, so I, I knew I wanted to coach, you know, as I was going through college, but I guess I always assumed I was just going to, after Madai, you know, try to go be a grad assistant at like a division one school and try to kind of work it that way and, and see what happened. My cousin, uh, Adam Cohen, who's the associate head coach at Stanford, he was at, I believe he was at USC at the time as a video guy. So like I had seen that world and kind of just thought I would do that. And then as I was graduating Madai, or maybe it was like right after our, my senior season, I knew Coach Mack was like, well, why don't you just stay here, be my you know, be an assistant, and you know, just basically start right away. This way you can be on the floor, you can recruit, and you can go through it and learn all that as opposed to if you go be a grad assistant, you can't really do any of that. So, but he, but, you know, so he got me going, and, and really he's, he's the reason I'm here. Um, I had been an assistant, his assistant for, what was it, four years at Madai, um, right away, and then three, and then we went over to Damon for three years. Yeah, three years, and then um, and then I came right here. So I owe everything to him. You know, a big influence in in how I coach and how I see it, and it's really all I've known is the way he does things. And uh, yeah, so pretty. You know, as you said, he's kind of the. I think a lot of people uh, owe him a lot in Western New York and in the basketball community, and uh, he's been great. So as you stayed on with Madai, did um, part of the experience and, and the glam, glamour for you to stay there was you you being able to work on the court, coaching, and doing much more than just breaking down video? Right, exactly. I mean, I, I was able to do everything. And I think as it went along, he let me do so much because he trusted me, you know, after a little while. And obviously, I played for him. So I knew, you know, from a – I knew a lot going in as far as kind of how he did things. But the more I was coaching – or got comfortable with it, the more he let me do. Um, and I was able to do everything, whether it was recruiting, film, scouting reports, uh, individual development, all that stuff. Um, so it was uh, it was a great, I mean, it's as good of an experience as you can have. Obviously, you know, the money, <laughs> I think I made $2,500 yeah. maybe yeah. a year, something like that. But I, lucky enough where my parents were able to help me out. And I, I did go, at the time, I also got my master's at Canisius. So I was doing that online. So I was able to get that done. And uh, but it was a great experience. So, um, you know, Coach McDonald has had such a long, successful tenure around the Western New York area. So if you could pinpoint one or two things that you believe makes him so proficient in the profession of coaching, what would it be? Well, I think he's as good of a game coach as there's that as there is, Um, meaning whether it be getting the ball in the right guy's hands, X's and O's, timeout situations, having a feel for when to switch things up or, you know, whatever that is. He's as good of a game. We were never out of it, no matter where we were, how we were playing. Um, And obviously the success speaks for itself. I think 
after our first two years at Madai, in the next, so my junior, senior year, and then and then uh, Madai and Damon, I hadn't been in anything less than a conference semifinal in 10 years. Um, so I think it's, the first thing that comes to mind is as good of a game coach as there is. Um, and then from a, you know, practice standpoint or team standpoint and all that, I, I think he knows what he wants and he sticks to it and he's really good with it. And meaning, you know, he's, he's willing to change things up. He's willing to, whether it's year to year or whatever, but he believes in what he believes in and he doesn't stray too far from it. And I think guys buy in because uh, they know it's worked. And if they're not going to buy in, fine. You know, he'll find the guys who will. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that's specific enough, but that's kind of kind of what I what I think is uh, what he does great. Yeah, Mike, I would agree with that. And I would also commend you, though, because as a coach, and I think you know this now, you have enough head coaching experience. I think for a coach to ask a player to stay on as a, a fellow coach or bring them in as an assistant um, is a really, really big sign of respect and Absolutely. trust. Right. And so obviously you, you performed at a great level, you know, both coaching and probably as a person to where he really saw an opportunity with you to, you know, to make his staff better, but also make you better at the same time. So I wouldn't sell yourself too short there as well. <laughs> what do you, um, yeah. What do you think, um, has been some of the things that, he has done that are, that you've now incorporated into your your philosophies because coach coach Klump and I were just saying before we got on with you about keeping the main thing the main thing and you know having all this knowledge of different offenses to run or defenses to you know implement what are some of the things that maybe you took away from him and maybe how has your philosophy changed since mm-hmm. that time uh, well I, I think there's a few things one I think the importance of um taking care of the basketball and passing and catching <laughs> as simple as that sounds. But he used to lose it on guys when I was playing and you'd be like, what? It, like we're going to sit here and pass and pivot for this long and, you know, work on trying to get open on the perimeter and, and all that. And you don't really get it until you realize that you don't turn the ball over and there's a reason for it. Um, so, you know, we, I, we put a lot of emphasis on that and, you know, it, it's been a unique situation here, which I'm sure we'll get into at Maritime, but, we definitely put a lot of emphasis on that. And then, you know, a lot of what he did, we do here. You know, two guard, the offensive system that he ran, that's a John Beeline thing um, we run here. So that, that's that been part of it. But I think more from a just a, a philosophical standpoint, you know, the ability to, like I said, not, not turn it over. You know, we, we kind of shot threes before everybody shot threes like crazy. Um, we, we never viewed that as a bad shot as long as it was the right guy. So... We definitely do a lot of that here. And uh, and I also think the other thing is we were in spots where we might have not necessarily had the most athletic team in the league or even the most talented team in the league. And so you had to find ways. What were you good at and what what did and not just try to fit each each thing, you know, every year being the same thing. You had to really build it around what personnel you had. You couldn't just go out and say, all right, we're going to recruit a six, five guy here. We're going to recruit a, uh, an athlete here, uh, a really quick dude here. No, it was like, you're going to go recruit and we're going to get the best players we can possibly get. And that might be different from year to year. So your team's going to be different from year to year. Um, as opposed to, as opposed to, Hey, we're going to play this way and we're, cause you couldn't always recruit that way. You couldn't always just recruit to a specific 
exact style every year. Yeah, and Coach and I were talking off air again, like about keeping it simple and, and going to your strengths. So, like at Mary time, what would you say is your best pitch, Coach? Like, what what do you want your teams to do better than anybody else, offensively and or defensively? Um, definitely take care of the ball. As I said, you know, we want to be able to. It sounds simple. Take more shots than our opponents, <laughs> and we feel like we got a better chance there. So, I think that that's the first thing. I and ironically. I think the other thing we do, and that's another Coach Mack thing, is yes, we want to keep it simple, but I think what, why, where we're different is we run a lot of stuff. And so our stuff is going to be something that the other team has to prepare for, and, and you're not going to be able to prepare for everything. Mm-hmm. So that is kind of a philosophy of what we do and, and have a lot of stuff in. And you know, as the teams get older and guys get older, it becomes a lot easier for that to be effective. When I first got here – you couldn't just put everything in right away, and you know it didn't. Ma- it really didn't even matter what you had in because it wasn't going to work because we were too young. Okay, uh, yeah, that was my next follow up. I was going to say, do you see that transit that that building of the program as as the, the kids or your players get older, they get more comfortable in, in the knowledge of what you're trying to do um, with these sets? No, no doubt. I mean, you hear it all the time in football. You hear it in basketball, but you start the guys stops. You know, they initially when they first come into the program, all they're doing is thinking. And everyone from the outside looking in is like, oh, this is you got to just let guys play and you got to do this. And it's like they'll get there, but it's going to take a little while. And what happens is when they become juniors and seniors is they stop thinking and they start playing within this system. And they're you know, and even though it looks like there's all these intricacies and confusing and all these passes and screens and all that. Yeah, there is. But they've run it for so long that there's no more thinking involved and they're just playing and, and reading stuff. Um, so so that, that was definitely part of it. And here we're still – I was so excited for this year because we're finally – our team in Maritime is finally older. We're finally a bunch of juniors and seniors where it's taken us four years to get to that point. Um, so I'm hoping we can play. But even if we can't, you know, I, I feel like we've, we've stabilized everything here where we're going to continue to have juniors and seniors and, and be able to play that way. Yeah, Coach. So I got two directions I kind of want to go, but I'll start with this. Being in, at Maritime – um, is maybe a little bit different than growing up where, where we're from here in Western New York in the Buffalo area. So what's your recruiting philosophy been like? Is it, is it very similar to how you used, did it here? Or are you recruiting in a different way? Are you looking for the same type of athletes? Like what are some of your, your guiding principles when you're recruiting at Maritime? Yeah, it's definitely changed. I mean, when I came here first, um, we knew we had to really uh, reload is the wrong word, but load <laughs> is right. is really just start. get something in the cupboards. Yeah, exactly. And it wasn't to knock what was there in the past or or who was there in the past. It, it was more just the team that we walked into. That I walked into was there was about twelve or thirteen guys on the roster, and five of them were seniors. So you knew, all right, even if everybody comes back, we're going to have seven or eight guys back at most. Um, so we had to just go, I, you know, my recruiting philosophy was just go get as many guys who want to show up and come to school. And I love to play basketball. You talk about another Mike McDonald thing. I think the biggest thing I learned from a recruiting standpoint and from what, from a what's important standpoint is do the guys love to play? It sounds so simple. And I don't know if he brought it up when he did his, but, uh, do they love to play? And it's easy to say, oh yeah, yeah, they love to play, but it's and I'm sure you guys see it at your high schools or, or wherever you're coaching, you know, whether it's in the summer or whatever, 
you know, if you got to drag a guy into the gym or if they're only showing up for games and practices, they don't really love to play. And it's going to be hard when things aren't going well to win with those type of guys. So the first thing was, all right, we need to get guys here that want to be here and love to play basketball. And it, I don't care how good they are right now. I don't care how athletic they are or how big they are. Sure, we're going to we still want the best players we can get, but we're going to start with who loves to play. So we just kept recruiting, kept bringing guys on. So my first year, we had nine freshmen out of those 14. We had nine freshmen out of 14 guys, which was, it was my second year, really. So it was my first year. I came here in the summer. The, the guys, the roster was what it was. Um, and uh, so my second year, we brought in nine freshmen and we got killed. And I knew that was coming um, because nine freshmen doesn't generally equate to winning basketball games unless you're at Kentucky. Um, you know, something right. like that. So, and not this year. Not this they, year. Well, yeah, I know. They just lost tonight. They got pounded by Georgia Tech, I saw. Um, yeah. But uh, they'll so get I there. knew. Yeah, they'll, exactly. They'll be fine. Um, but, I, I, you know, it, the way – and, again, the system that we're going to play and, and the, the type of school we're at, we're going to win when guys are older. We're going to win when guys develop and learn from their mistakes, you know, after a little while. So – I knew we were going to get beat up, and we did. We were 6-19 and 19 my second year, um, and I think we won three of our last, like, five games. Um, but we stuck with it, and the, guy, and the kids had a great attitude. And, um, and then last year, you know, we were a little bit older. So we had one senior that year, and then we had one senior last year. So we had two total seniors in two years. Um, and we were a little bit better last year. We were 10-15, and 15 and we lost – uh, it's brutal, but we lost our last three games. If we win one of them, we go to the conference tournament, oh, which wow. would have been would have been the first time since like 2008. Great turnaround. Maritime. Yeah. So, you know, it's really trending in the right direction. And this year we have five seniors. We have five juniors. We have, uh, I think, four sophomores and we got a bunch of freshmen again. With So we're trending, you know, we're building this thing. And, and, and I feel really good about where we're at. Um, but, you know, that that's kind of how we've, how I've built it here, how we've, how we've built it here. And that's what we've looked for is just continue to go get guys who love to play basketball and belong at Maritime. If they belong at Maritime, I don't have to worry about if they're unhappy or all that. Like you don't have to babysit them. Nope. You just get to coach. And that's the beauty of it. You know, coach, you were talking about how it, it takes a while for the younger guys to come in and get their feet wet and really understand what's going on in, in with your culture and in your in your department. Um, what are some really common things that you're talking about here? Is it is it the footwork? Is it the passing? What what about these young players coming in? Does it take time for, to really de- develop their game? Well, I think the biggest thing I found is is even if they play hard. They don't know how hard they really truly have to play. Um, I, I think it's you know when you when you get into better Division three teams and or if you look at Division two teams or Division one teams, I think more so than the talent level and the size level and the skill level, guys have the capacity to work extremely hard. The higher the level is, um, you know, and, and I think you know being around different levels, you see it. So. I think as a freshman at the Division three level, coming from high school, no matter how good they were, they don't realize how hard they need to play. Um, I think that's the biggest thing because once you got that, you, you can you can work with that. Um, and then I think there's also you know you, the ability do something great, whatever it is. If it's you're going to make shots, fine. If you're going to be able to get in the lane and find guys, fine. If you're going to rebound, fine. 
stick to what you do great and don't worry about what you can't do and play to your strengths. And I don't think guys see that enough or realize that enough. Everybody wants to, oh, that guy's a jump shooter, so I'm going to try to be a jump shooter. That guy's you know great at handling the basketball, so I'm going to try to handle it. And, and what guys end up doing is showing what they can't do and they don't and they don't develop. It's like, no, play to your strengths. We'll, things will develop because we're just going to keep repping and keep drilling and keep getting your skills better, and eventually you'll get better at it. But stick to your strengths. So, you know, I, I think being in shape, being able to play hard, and 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 you know, finding something you're great at and, and sticking to that role um, are, are some of the biggest things I've seen that that young guys don't necessarily understand right away. Yeah, and you talked about the, the love for the game and, and trying to convince them to play hard. And from a lot of our conversation on here with other coaches, they talk about the, the concept of emptying their tank and and could give me more, give me more. Is that something like as a coach, do you think that's something that can be taught? Like all right, playing harder than you think that you're okay? That, no, I think I don't think you're playing hard enough, son. Yeah, I, I do think it, it can be taught. Um I think there might be a cap to certain guys. Uh, you know, I think some guys can play harder than others or they figure it out quicker or whatever it is. But I, I, yeah, I've gone back and forth. I think it's a great question because I've gone back and forth. I think there's certain guys who, for whatever reason, no matter how many times you show them on film or how many times you stop practice or have a private conversation or maybe you go the other way sometimes and you go nuts on them, sometimes they just, whatever reason, they, they, it just, they don't, it doesn't click. But I think there are cases and there are guys where it does click. And whether that means you show them film and you go and they finally see like, yeah, I'm really not playing hard compared to the other guy. Or if I did play hard, you know, think about the effects it has. And I think a lot of times that stuff clicks, at least at the college level, I've seen it more so their junior year is often got the, the first time where you see guys like, yeah, you don't have to talk about that anymore. And again, it's not like guys are lazy or they're not interested or they're trying to to be like no i'm too cool to play hard it's no i don't think they truly understand what that means and it takes a while to figure it out coach so when you're recruiting and looking for those guys that are going to be able to be coached up what is your selling point for for maritime because it seems like you're doing a phenomenal job turning a program around but um, maybe a program that hasn't traditionally had a lot of success. So what's your sell when you're recruiting an athlete to come to your, to your program? What do you, what do you sell on them? Yeah. So the, the beauty of this place and a big part of the reason of why I took this job and why I think we can be really good and sustain it going forward is I don't have to sell the school. The school is phenomenal. The, the academics are, it's a tough school to get into and it's a unique school, but the futures that these kids have when they leave are second to none. Um, so that's where it starts really is if I don't have to sell that part and I know I got the right kid when they're interested in this place, they, when, when they're interested at, at Maritime, it is the perfect fit for them. Um, where you might be at some other places where if it's just a liberal arts school or a business school and not to say there's anything wrong with those schools, but you might not quite know, if that's the right fit for everybody, you know, I mean, because there's so many different options they have where at Maritime, like if this interests you, it's going to be the perfect fit for you. So I don't have to sell that part. And then when they leave, they make more money than anybody in the country. Literally look it up. <laughs> um, so, so I don't have to sell that. So that part's great. And then once I know that they're here for the right reasons, you know, the basketball part is easy. It's the love 
of the game is easy. If I, if I know they're willing to be an engineering student and be in what's called the regiment here where it makes it look like it's the military for a lot of our students, not all of our students, but a lot of our students, you know, we get a lot of tough, hard-nosed, mature kids who you, you don't, I don't worry about them getting in trouble and all that. Like they're still normal college kids. They still go have fun and all that. But I know their priorities are in the right spot. They go to school, they go to class, they do their work. And then the next thing they do is they play basketball and everything else kind of comes after all that. So I learned that from Coach Mack. That was kind of what we preached at Madai and Damon is what are your priorities? Are you, if you have, we always had three priorities, which were the, the academics were first, basketball was second, and then everything else was third. It was a little tougher at those places because you know, it was just a different type of school where here, you know, exactly what everybody's priorities are. So it's been, it's been, uh, it's been almost like it, it was frustrating in the beginning recruiting wise, cause it limited who we could go get where Emma and Damon, we could literally recruit everybody. Cause it was, uh, you know, it was, a uh, uh, the type of school it was where here, um, and this isn't to knock those other places here that the academics are very tough and it's a tough place to get into. So that limits your pool. Um, the type of majors we have limits the pool. So in the beginning, I was a little frustrated, but what I realized is once I got over that, it made it a lot easier because I stopped chasing kids that we weren't going to get and just stuck with the kids that fit our place. And it's really been great. And we've been able to, now our roster's at about 20, where when we got it, it was at about 12. Right. So you're really making some headway there. I love it. So I I would really be remiss if I didn't ask this question for the beyond beyond the ball, um, handling life outside of the game of basketball. So where you are, your location was right in the heart of the first wave of COVID. So tell us what life was like. (laughs) Um, It was weird. I mean, you know what? It it wasn't. So New York, as most people know, is crazy to begin with. So it, it wasn't like. We're, and we're secluded. Our campus is a little secluded where we have a you know one way into campus, one way out. There's a gate, there's security. So when it all shut down, everybody went home. I actually live, I'm lucky enough where I live on campus. I have an apartment in a, in a place on campus. So I was here and nobody was here. Um, and so it was like, you know, it was a shock like everybody else. And uh, about every other week I would do a Zoom with some basketball buddies and we'd talk basketball and Coach Mack was one of them, my cousin, my brother who are at Stanford, uh, Dave Nyland at Penn State Barron, Kevin Broderick at Nazareth, uh, Zach Bovair, who's the Army assistant. Um, and we had some other guys, but that was the, the main crew. And we talked basketball. So that stuff was great. I think in the beginning it was like, hey, this is kind of cool. It's like a clinic every other day, every other you know week. And then I'm sure you, know, you guys know it got old. And uh, then you start wondering, are we going to have a season and all that? But as far as New York goes, it wasn't much different from my, you know, from when I went to visit Buffalo where everything was shut down and people were following the rules and other than golf courses, nothing was really open. Yeah, that's crazy. So, and, and so you just used the line right there that other than Buffalo being shut down, it wasn't much different, but I would imagine outside of COVID, it's very different. Would you yeah. agree? Yeah. So you mean where, where I am at right now? Yeah. Where you're yeah. at compared to where you grew up? So, oh, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So my question to you is when as being a Buffalo kid, 
um, growing up in the 716, like your entire life, when you finally had to come to that decision to make that jump, kind of go out on your own, maybe if you wanted to put it that way, and completely change the setting of where you were living and how you were doing it. What were some of the things that factored into that decision? How did you, you know, finally come to that decision? Were you like all in right away? Was there a little bit of hesitancy there? What, what did that process look like for you, Mike? Yeah, it was definitely tough. I was all in right away once I got offered the job. Like I knew when I interviewed here and when I saw the place and, you know, did my research and, um, you know, had a lot of talks with Coach Coach Mack and my parents and other people that I trust that if I got offered the job, it was a no brainer. And the AD who was here was no longer here. I mean, it was awesome. So the job was the least fearful thing of the whole move. It was there was it was a no brainer. There was no doubt in my mind it was the right move. The, the most fearful thing was just moving. It was, you know, like, like I, you had said, I had said that I had been in Buffalo my whole life. You have your family, you have your friends and your base and, you know, you know what you do, where you watch the Bills games at, like you have your thing. And then all of a sudden it's like, all right, going down to New York. I don't know many people here. You know, I have some sort, you know, I have a family member here and there, a friend here and there, but that was about it. But what, what made it easier is the job was so good and the job still is so good that I knew it was the right move. Um, and, you know, I'm close enough where I can head back to Buffalo and visit and, and do that kind of thing. But it, it was definitely fearful in the beginning, but not not because of the job standpoint, just because, holy crap, this is a whole new place. Yeah. So have you found that you've been able to, you know, create some balance between coaching and like having a, a some personal time? Or are you pretty much all in on hoops and the school all the time? How's that look for you these days? No, I definitely have balance. I've always been that way. Like I love basketball and it's everything. And it's the only thing I ever want to do, you know, for the rest of my life. But I'm not one of those people who's in the office at 530 in the morning and leaving at midnight. It just doesn't make sense to me. Um, obviously, there's times during the year where, uh, you know, they're really long hours and that kind of thing. But that's that's the stuff I love is like when you're preparing for a team and you're watching film and like that. Then there's a point to being there all day. You know, I, I love that stuff. That's like you're in the people call it the grind. I hate when people call it the grind because it's basketball. Um but it, that's the fun part. You're doing to me. what you love. Yeah, exactly. Like that, that's the fun part. But when it's not the season and and you know, or, or there's nothing to recruit, like I'm very. I like to play golf. I, you know, we've mentioned the Bills. I love the Bills. I like to go do things. Like I'm not going to sit at my desk for no reason to tell people I watched this amount of film in June. Like it just doesn't. It doesn't make sense to me. So I, I, I think I have a really good balance to it. Um, and you know, I am the interim athletic director here now. So. It has made for some some more hours this last year and a half, but still, I, I'm able to to balance it out pretty well. So, speaking of watching film, um, are other than your team or your 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 opponents that you're going to come across, are there, are there a couple teams that you like to zone in on because you like the way that they play and you studied them? Um, can you share those with us? Yeah, well, I always watch Beeline's teams, whether it was at Michigan or I'll pull up the old West Virginia stuff. Like I always always whenever I could watch those guys um, you know and, and then other I guess I try to look at schools or places that have similar makeups as to what we have meaning we're not going to be the most athletic team in the league we're not going to have the most size in the league as a general rule so who's doing a great job scoring or guarding or winning 
in that area, you know, places like Belmont, places like, um, you know, Division Three, but Penn State, Barron. Um, what else do I like? Uh, trying to think of some other places, you know, some of the Ivy League stuff, some of the lower level stuff. I, you know, it's, it's different every year because I think schools and teams makeups are different every year. But I, I don't think it's like, you know, I, I don't have any like secret places that I'm looking at. It, it's more who's winning, who's doing well and why are they doing it? You know, how is it working that way? So I, I would say, you know, that it, it is a little different every year, but definitely, you know, the Belmonts of the world and, and those underdog type uh, move it really well, shoot it really well places. Davidson, uh, those kind of places. Yeah, Coach Beeline has a little bit of influence, right? Also being a Western New York guy as well, actually from the same town that Coach Klump is from. Yeah. Um, so we love watching his stuff as well. Um, Coach, you mentioned being the interim AD. Has what? What was that like? Because I know at the smaller schools, you know, you sometimes have to wear a couple different hats you know, in terms of salary and justifying roles and all that type of stuff. Was right. that something that you were welcoming? Like, did you plan on that? Or is that like just a new challenge that um, you decided to embrace? Well, like I said, I definitely didn't plan on it. Um, I was always, so I will say this, going back to the balance and the basketball part. Like, I think when I was first an assistant, whether it be Madai or Damon, I was always like, oh, I'm just going to coach basketball. Like, I, you know, I saw what my cousin was doing. I saw what some of my friends were doing. They got to be full-time assistants. Like, I'm just going to worry about basketball. I never have to, you know, I'm not going to take one of those jobs or, or that. And then I give a lot of credit to Bridget Nyland, who was the athletic di- uh, director at Damon at the time, who was like, or, and maybe I just got older, but I finally realized like, hey, if I want to coach basketball, I'm going to have to do some of this other stuff. Um, and so there is where it started, where I was doing like some game day operations for soccer and, and it was, you know, some other things like that. And, uh, so I got to give a lot of credit to her. And then when I came to Maritime, I was an assistant athletic director, um, had some different roles, uh, compliance or, um, development, some other stuff like that. And I got to enjoy it. Like, I didn't think I was going to enjoy it, but it's a nice little break from basketball during the day sometimes or or during the year or whatever it is. You get to know some of the other student athletes and coaches and all that. And then what happened was our athletic director got a different job um, last summer. So it was like August or July. And, you know, we had a very new athletic staff. I was one of the older or one of the most tenured athletes at, uh, administrators at the school from an athletic department. And I was lucky enough where they said, Hey, you know, we, we feel like you'd be the best fit to take over in the interim. Cause it was August for the year. And then we'll, we'll open up the search and, and we'll see what happens in like March. And, you know, so it was great. I got to, it was crazy. Like I, I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, <laughs> I, I knew basically what I found out was that you basically are there to hear everybody's problems and try to solve. And, you know, your, your office is open and it's just one after another of people coming in and telling you everything that's wrong with their, in their world. And, um, but it, you know, it was cool. Cause you got to see like what it really was is now I just have another team. I got my guys who I coach in basketball. And then I got my other, uh, guys and girls that are other administrators or other coaches that I'm the head coach of that too. And, you know, being able to help me delegate, delegate stuff and being more comfortable with that where I had always been like, no, I got to do this. I got to, you know, really be in control of everything. And not because I was selfish. I was just like, well, if it's going to reflect on me, then I want to be the one who takes responsibility for it. 
but I learned how to delegate more. And, um, you know, so then March came around and, and COVID hit and that was when they were going to open up the search. Um, so the search stopped and then it got to like June, July again. And they were like, the school was like, Hey, do you want to do it again for the year? And, and we're still doing it. So it, it's been a great experience. I never thought I would have wanted to be an athletic director, but I think it's definitely opened up my eyes to, to, Hey, I would want to do both. Um, right now. And I, I wouldn't want to do it if I couldn't coach, but uh, I, I like, I like doing both right now. I do. Yeah. That's uh that's speaking my language, working at a small school, not at the college level, but at the high school level, you often find yourselves, you know, wearing a lot of different hats and pitching in, in every area that you, that you need to. So I, and I will say, you know, I know we've brought up coach Mack a lot, but I, I did learn that from him. Like he taught a class, he was an assistant AD and he had fun with it. It wasn't like, oh, I got to do this. It was like he found some stuff that was funny about it. Like it's hilarious when you got to be the one who's sweeping the floor, turning the clocks on, doing the lights and then going to teach a class. If you can find the enjoyment in it, it's pretty funny and funny, meaning like, yeah, this is cool. It's crazy. And the guy at Michigan State's probably not doing this, but it's cool. Yeah, right. it's all you about bring your, your best approach, effort right? to that. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's no doubt. Totally about your approach. All right, Coach. So we're, we're winding down here a little bit. Um, we usually like to go for about 35, 45 minutes. So uh, we won't keep you all night, but we do have some fun questions okay. that we like to always ask our guests. And they're typically geared to being from the 716. So Coach Klump will start. So we, we got some... Uh, I wouldn't say we're not betting on this show, but Coach and I have like we're keeping tally marks okay. of uh, who who answers in the favor of either Eric or myself. So I love it. I'm interested to see uh, what you answer here, Coach Klump. You want to well, get us started? Well, what I want to start out with is like Coach has mentioned several times that he's a big golfer. So let, I, I want him to name his favorite place to golf where he's living right now. Uh, Beth Page. Oh. So I'm, yeah, I'm fortunate enough where about 40 minutes, 45 minutes from me is uh, the Bethpage State Park. So there's obviously everybody knows black, but there's some yeah. really there's five golf courses there. So definitely that. And, and what, what about, you, what about yeah. the, the Western New York area? Yeah, sorry, coach. Uh, well, my, my dad belongs to Brookfield. So when I'm back there, I play there a lot. Um, so I would say Brookfield. Very nice. Very nice. Coach, keep it going with the fun ones here. Okay, so um, what about the food down in New York? Is Does it relate to Buffalo? doesn't come close to comparing to Buffalo, and people will uh-huh. never understand that unless yeah, they're in Buffalo. Yeah, I know, Buffalo. I know. So Buffalo's favorite the place for wings in Buffalo? Uh, barbecue wings, Lenovo, which is probably not a common answer, but um, probably Duff's for regular wings. Okay. okay. And then are you grabbing for the wings or the drums? Wings. For sure. Oh, coach, we'll let you have that one. Um, <laughs> and obviously, you're from Buffalo, so we shouldn't even bother. Have to ask about blue cheese, right? Yeah, don't even, don't even yeah. ask. Okay, so we're good there. <laughs> we're good there. We've actually had some coaches on that don't even like know what blue cheese is, and they they reference ranch, and we just kick That's them off. That's good. You, that you know, you'll never have to have them on again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. We got to wake <laughs> them up. <laughs> so, so you've mentioned you're a Bills fan. I mean, most everybody that grows up in Western New York is a Bills fan. Almost everybody. Um, I know I have some former athletes and some friends down in New York City. Is there a place down there where you get to watch the games or you stay at home and watch them? What's your plan for tomorrow night? So I'm insane, probably like you guys are, where 
I am very picky about who I'm watching the games with. Yes. Okay. I am not trying to be around people who I don't feel like, not even like, I don't even care if they're rooting for somebody else. I just can't have them be annoying and I can't have them irritate me. So I'm very picky about it. (laughs) I have, so I have a buddy who lives who lives not too far from me where I'll go to his apartment sometimes. Um, in the past, there's a place down here called, uh, it's pretty famous. It was called, well, it used to be at McFadden's. Now it's at the yeah. public house, which is the Bill's Bar down here. But again, okay. then, then you got like 300 people and it's like, eh, not really my style. So tomorrow night, I'm going to be in my apartment because I don't want anybody to annoy me. So where you're located at, is it more Jets fan or more Giants fans? It's pretty split. It really is. Um, I would say probably more Giants fans, though, where I'm at. Unless they're just closet Jets fans because of what's going on right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're, yeah they they're, te- they're not very good. They're right. not very I don't want to say terrible, but they, they did lose pretty, <laughs> pretty, pretty atrociously today. So <laughs> we won't rub that in too much. We've had yeah. long years of suffering, so oh, you know yeah. what that's right. like. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So, Coach, last – and maybe we'll end on this. We'll uh, – we might be having some Bills guests coming up here in a couple of episodes, so I want to get your take on Josh Allen. Is he is he the guy long term? Are they signing yeah. him? Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's uh, I think the best part about Josh Allen, we talk about relating it back to basketball, and he knows who he is, right? Like, there's no like, yeah, he's gonna make some crazy plays, he's gonna make some crazy mistakes, but that dude, you know, walking into the stadium, you have the most competitive guy on the field that day every single time. And to me, they don't come very often like that. So I'm all in on Josh Allen. I don't care how many crazy plays he has or if he has a bad moment. To me, when it comes to the fourth quarter, I, and I'm sure you guys are like this, I've never felt the way I feel when he's got the ball, you know, and since I rem- can remember. And, you know, I'm sure it was like that when Jim Kelly was playing, but um, I don't, I'm not old enough to really remember that. So I, I love the guy. I think he, He's awesome. I love that organization right now. I love McDermott. I love how they're doing things. So I think he fits in perfectly. We sh- we need to bring Mike back on and do an all Bill session. Yeah, he you know he became one though. Like he's not from Buffalo, so but he to his credit he has become a Bills fan because he's from Connecticut. So but he's you know he was he's been in Buffalo for thirty whatever yeah. years now. So yeah. now yeah he is a Bills fan, no doubt. About <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, no, I'm excited about that guy for sure. Nice. All right, Coach Klump, anything else for Coach Burke? No, Coach, has been wonderful. I, I thank you so much for coming on. It's been it's been a great experience talking hoops. And, and you know, we, we pray that you your, everybody's seasons will be, will be played and completed and give these kids an opportunity to play the game that they love and for these coaches to go out there and coach them up and serve them. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, guys. And uh, same to you. I hope everyone gets to play and – it sucks right now, but, you know, we'll get through it eventually. Yeah, absolutely, Coach. I appreciate you coming on. I, uh, As I've said to you off air, this is a real passion project for Eric and I. And, you know, we just love getting the chance to chat it up with other coaches. Um, and just seeing you as a player um, and now doing doing your thing as a coach and athletic director even, you yeah. know, it's, it's really cool. It's really cool to see Western New York guys um, living out their dreams, and we just try to celebrate them. So, uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully, you guys have continued to success down there, 
And whenever you're back in, in Buffalo, just look us up maybe and we'll we'll go have some of those wings. For sure. Now that, for now sure. that I know now that I know you're a you're a wings of flats guy, I'll be good because I eat the drums. So <laughs> perfect. We'll perfect. Be, no, we'll, we'll get in each side. other's way. Yeah. No, yeah, I appreciate it, guys. This is great. Anytime to be able to just talk hoops and uh especially with everything that's going on now, it's great. So yeah. any way I can ever help, um be happy to. Awesome. Great. Awesome. Good luck, coach, coach. Coach, have a good holiday. All right, guys, you too. All right, we'll talk to you. If you have an existing podcast or are looking to launch your own pod but aren't sure where to start, the team at My Podcast Manager can help. Our podcast team works behind the scenes so you can do what you do best. We'll help you launch your podcast, make it sound great, and free up your time for the more enjoyable parts of podcasting. If you're ready to put your podcast editing, production, and promotion on autopilot with a trusted team of podcasting professionals. Visit mypodcastmanager.com to get started. Thank you for listening to the Beyond the Ball podcast with Coach Eric Klump and Coach Justin Gersten. 